Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everyone. I am so glad that you could join us today. Our guest today is somebody who is one of my favorite people in the world, Osprey Oriel Lake, and she is the founder and executive director of an organization called We Can. That's the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. And she is convening a global women's assembly for climate justice. And we're going to be talking all about that event Um Osprey, it is so good to have you back on Go Green Radio. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Jill, for your very generous words. And I always love having a conversation with you. Thank you for having me on your show. You bet. Well, let's get right to it. Talk to us about what motivated you to convene a six-day virtual global women's assembly for climate justice. Well, I'm, I'm very motivated to organize this assembly because we're really at a choice point for humanity. Uh, the most recent report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC report, which is the United Nations uh, body for assessing the science related to climate change, has confirmed in the recent report what we already knew to be true, Um, that with no significant action, the climate crisis will continue to escalate very quickly. And every day, I mean, we don't need scientists even now to tell us. We can see for ourselves forest fires burning. I'm here in California, and, you know, fire season started very early on. Um, We can see massive flooding, extreme droughts, uh, the Hurricane Ida, and all over the world, uh, different... um, natural catastrophes that are happening due to climate change and and people are losing their livelihoods and lives and we are in a global climate emergency it's not out in the future we're we're in it now and as the world prepares for one of the most important climate talks since the Paris Agreement we know solutions exist and that women and feminists are leading the way So the Global Women's Assembly for Climate Justice is providing a platform to really elevate the voices of women and gender diverse leaders around the world. And and during the assembly, grassroots, indigenous, black, brown, and frontline women leaders, global advocates and policymakers are going to be joining together in solidarity to speak out really about environmental and social injustices and then draw attention to root causes of these you know, multiple interlocking crises and and really present the diverse array of visions and projects and policy frameworks and strategies with which um, they're working to shape a healthy and equitable world that, that we can really live in and is positive for future generations. Mm-hmm. And and that is, you said the word policy, and, and I've been to some of your events before, and that's one of the things of many that I love so much about the work that you do. I mean, you're not just saying, hey, governments do something. You really produce some concrete policy recommendations, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but that is one of the most 
uh, useful and pragmatic and powerful things that comes out of the events that you hold, Osprey. And I just in awe. You know, I was looking at the website for the Women's Assembly for Climate Justice, and you have some amazing speakers lined up. And I know that you can't tell us about all of them, but I'd love for you to take some time and give us a flavor of of who will be speaking. Yeah, I agree. I, first of all, feel incredibly honored uh, that so many of these Uh, leaders have agreed to participate, and I can feel that there is just such a momentum for this conversation, as you said, also to line out outcome documents and policies um, at at this really urgent time. So, um, as an example, we have Hilda Heine, who is the former president of the Republic of the Marshall Islands. Uh, She was uh, the first female president in her region, incredible woman who who's on an island nation who's very concerned about sea level rise. I mean, imagine living someplace where due to sea level rise, you no longer uh, not just have your home, but your entire country and uh, culture are under threat. Um, so she'll be speaking to us. Um, Sonia Bonia Guajajara, who is the executive coordinator of the Articulation of Indigenous Peoples of Brazil, is a very powerful Indigenous uh, leader who um, is protecting her culture and her people from massive deforestation and agribusiness that is really destroying uh, the Amazon rainforest. And we've worked with her for quite some time. And she's just this incredible Indigenous leader who will be talking to us about the Amazon rainforest and uh, what they're doing as women to protect their traditional lands, uh, not just for themselves, but the whole world. They understand how important forests are to climate mitigation. Uh, We're very honored to have Dr. Jane Goodall, which I don't think I need to say a lot about who she is. I think most people know her as a scientist, a humanitarian, a conservationist, um, so we're very honored to have her words as an elder in her 90s, uh, still working for the earth and, and offering her wisdom. Um, we will be having Casey Camp Hornick. Uh, she's a leader from the Ponca Nation. She's an environmental ambassador, and we're very honored also to have her on our weekend board. Um, and she has so much to share about her traditional ecological knowledge. Uh, She'll be speaking about rights of nature. um, And it's just such an inspiration around Indigenous women's knowledge. Um, I'll give a few more. We're going to have Ruth Nyambura. She's a a Kenyan activist from the African Ecofeminist Collective. A brilliant, brilliant woman to talk about, you know, what is the role of ecofeminism and that relationship between women and the earth and what is happening um, in Kenya and other African countries. Um, We will have former president uh, Mary Robinson from Ireland, who's been working very hard on climate justice issues and bringing in um, how there's a relationship between human rights and what's happening with the climate. Uh, Naomi Klein, She's an award-winning journalist and New York Times best-selling author who's been working on climate issues and the connection between our uh, economy and, um, and, and the climate crisis. 
I'm really honored also to have Tara Hauska. She's an Anishinaabe woman who's uh, the founder of the GNU Collective and um, doing extremely important work right now. Some of your viewers might know about um, a tar sands pipeline called Line 3 that comes from yes. Canada is going through her, yeah, going through her territories right now. And Tara has been one of the leading, uh, leading women who's been uh, fighting, you know, for years and years to stop this pipeline. And I just really admire her work, you know, putting her body on the line and mm-hmm. um, really leading out to stop that project. Um, so I could go on and on. Helena, mm-hmm. Helena Gualinga from Ecuador, um, Colette Pinchon Battle, she's the executive director of the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy, really talking about powerful black women's leadership in the United States, um, women from the Philippines, uh, literally from all over the world. So it's mm-hmm. really exciting. It is exciting. And, and when folks go out to the website and we'll help them get there in a little while, I mean, you scroll and scroll and scroll and every one of the speakers you have lined up is just amazing. Um, and and I, I just am so excited for you to be able to convene all of these amazing voices. And speaking of voices, you know, I know how inclusive you are. And but for some of our male listeners, they may be wondering, well, why is this a global women's assembly? And I'd like for you to talk about you know, the importance of highlighting women's voices in the fight for climate justice. Yeah, it's a really important distinction. Um, you know, the, 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 the assembly is open to everyone, and we're featuring women and gender diverse leaders. And we have done a lot of research since the onset of our Uh, organization's beginning, which is that women need to stand at the forefront of all action to address the global climate crisis because they are simultaneously the most adversely impacted by climate change and environmental degradation and yet are truly indispensable actors and leaders of just and effective solutions. So when we analyze root causes, it's clear that women experience climate change with disproportionate severity because of unequal gender norms and their basic rights continue to be denied in varying forms and intensities across the world. And enforced gender inequality reduces women's physical and economic mobility, their voice, their opportunity in many places, making them more vulnerable to mounting environmental stresses. And what really inspires me is that, you know, against all odds and against great challenges, women are demonstrating every day that they have unique and essential ideas and skills to offer at at this turning point in history as humanity faces, you know, crisis of of our very survival and how we are living with each other and the earth. So while women suffer disproportionately, Um, I think one of the most inspiring things and untold stories is that women stand at the forefront of efforts to revision and heal our world and bring solutions. So just as an example, you know, many of the women we work with around the world, they always say to us, we are not victims. We are the solutions. And and they're right. Um, 60 to 80% of household food production in developing countries is done by women. So when we're talking about food security and food sovereignty, we're talking about involving women. Uh, United Nations studies on water programs show if you don't have women engaged in these programs, they simply don't work. It's the women who have the 
the knowledge of where to collect the water and hold that water knowledge. Um, in another arena, 80% of the purchasing power in North America, as an example, is decided by women. And women can use this to demand clean energy and tackle over, uh, overconsumption. Um, and there are clear systemic links between the climate crisis, our economic models, and the ongoing exploitation and disempowerment of women. And to address these systemic problems, women are advocating for and implementing models of collective mm-hmm. ownership of their seeds, their plants, their forests. Right. And they're working to, to localize their economy. So really, women need to be at the center that is so true. They do need to be at the center because of these adverse impacts. And as you said, the creative solutions that can only come from women who are right up close and personal with what's going on with climate change. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad you could join us. And if you've just tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Osprey Oriel Lake, the 
founder and executive director of We Can, which stands for Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. And she's getting ready to convene a truly global Women's Assembly for Climate Justice. And Osprey, I want to talk about some of the topics that are on your agenda, um, because I think some of these may be unfamiliar to some of our listeners. So I'd like to have you kind of explain the importance and meaning of some of these topics. Um, Let's start with the intersectionality of gender, racial, and environmental justice. Talk to us about that topic a little bit. Oh, that's a great topic. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and just for your listeners to know, there's going to be 20 panels over six days. So there's a lot of different topics, and this is a really important one. So thanks for pointing that out, Jill. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to truly address the root causes, as well as the scope and scale of the climate crisis, we, we need to talk about policies and projects and ideas that are systemic across all sectors of society and have strong feminist principles and at the same time strive to address historical oppressions. So the climate crisis has emerged from interlocking systems of capitalism, meaning our our economic model, patriarchy, racism, the commodification of nature, and uh, colonization. So to confront the crisis, we need to have coherence across policy sectors and not just look at things one thing at a time because there's a relationship to the systems that we're living in right now that have led to this moment. As an example, indigenous women, black women, brown women, women from low-income communities, and women from the global south bear an even heavier burden from the impacts of climate change and environmental degradation because of the historic and continuing impacts of colonization, racism, and inequality. Um, So in many frontline communities, there's a racial, gendered um, impact to, to what is going on in our world. And for some women, also sexual violence um, that is piled on to the fact of environmental racism. Um, So when we see extractive industries, as an example, come into indigenous lands, uh, those women and girls who live in those areas are affected by pipeline workers uh, or people who are doing extractive work in uh, in the oil or gas industry and really attack the women in those communities. So they have a lot of impact that isn't just looking at the fact that they're women, it's also because they're women of color. So for justice and long-lasting change, it's really essential that we recognize and understand the dominant social constructs that we live in that, that are really at the root of gender and racial inequality, as well as the destruction of the earth. So we have to have really a systemic approach. And we see that women see these connections and are willing and able to unite to challenge really multiple systems of oppression to build a healthy and livable future. Well, it's interesting because just last week on Go Green Radio, I had Jeff Ketley, uh Keitlinger on on the uh, show. He is the recently retired general manager and CEO of the Metropolitan Water District. And we were talking about how, you know, California's water system is really going to need some overhaul 
quickly. (laughs) And I asked him, how can we incorporate racial and environmental justice in our plans for the future? And he had a really interesting answer. And and I think a very wise answer as an eighth generation Californian. Um, And I think as we begin to look at both the mitigation and adaptation strategies that our governments at every level will be developing, having an overlay of gender, racial, and environmental justice is going to bring us to the best and most sustainable solutions, the ones that will take us into the next century in a just way. So I'm glad that you guys are going to be covering that. I'm excited for that. One of the other topics that you're going to be covering at the assembly is indigenous rights and resistance efforts. And, you know, some of our listeners are actually quite young. We have high school and college students who are listening to Go Green Radio. And this may be the first time they're exposed to this issue and how it relates to climate change. So I'd love for you to talk to us about that issue. Yeah, it's really uh, very important. Um, I think an important point to start with is that Indigenous peoples hold rights over and protect uh, 25% of the Earth's land surface, and um, 80% of the remaining biodiversity, 80% of the remaining biodiversity on Earth is in the lands and hands of Indigenous peoples. So, you know, we need that biodiversity. We need those forests. We need, you know, Mother Nature to survive. And the way that Indigenous peoples live with their lands has meant that they are the main uh, uh, custodians and caretakers of life on Earth. So to accurately reflect real solutions to the climate crisis, Indigenous sovereignty and solutions are, are really paramount. Um, There's a great deal of research showing that when Indigenous rights and sovereignty are secured, the land, the water, and forest flourish. Um, In Indigenous communities, um, we really need to, you know, protect their rights and understand leaders must not only have a seat at the table, but also need to be leading the conversation about land protection and climate solutions and how that connects to Indigenous rights. Um, As an example, here in the United States, as well as in many countries, we need to have explicit legislation that respects what's called the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, uh, which, um, you know, has, it's a very specific area of human rights, and Indigenous peoples really called for that and fought years to have their own explicit rights because they hold collective rights around uh, things, as an example, called free prior and informed consent, where nothing can happen on their lands or territories without consent from their communities. And this gives them great power to protect uh, their forests, their lands, their waters, uh, if, in fact, governments respect it, which is, you know, part of the problem because they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, specifically focusing on Indigenous women, uh, they are frequently the backbone of their communities, knowledge keepers of biodiversity and forests, and leaders in resistance efforts to defend their lands. Uh, so there's so much we can learn from Indigenous women about how to live in respect of the natural laws of the earth uh, through vital traditional ecological knowledge that they are carrying. Um, right. And Indigenous women leaders could not be more important right now as we face you know, these interlocking crises that we're talking about and learning how to live more in balance with nature. So there's just so much to learn uh, about their economic systems, like Buen Vivir, which is about living in harmony with nature, um, mm-hmm. to 
to to the kind of work that they're doing to protect, you know, the water and land and forests for all of us. Mm-hmm. The assembly is also going to cover a topic that will be more familiar uh, to our listeners, and that is uh, the transition to renewable regenerative energy. But the way that it's framed in your assembly's um, outline is that um, you will be talking about the just transition to renewable and regenerative energy. And I'd like for you to help us understand what a just transition looks like versus a transition to clean energy that is unjust. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, similar to what you were mentioning before about this intersectional approach and making sure that as we, you know, make our way through the pandemic, make our way through, uh, you know, the environmental crises that we're facing, that there truly is a different world that we uh, need to bring about. I think, there has been a awakening that has begun, but it needs to strengthen that whatever we do going forward needs to have a racial, gender, and environmental lens that centers justice and accountability. And I've learned a lot and continue to learn a lot about what a just transition is from our allies at the Climate Justice Alliance. And, you know, a just transition is a vision-led, unifying, and place-based set of principles, processes, and practices that build economic and political power to shift from an extractive economy to one that is a regenerative economy, that is, you know, living in reciprocity with nature, that is healthy for the environment and our communities. And this means approaching production and consumption cycles holistically, Uh, The transition itself needs to have justice, as we're talking about, be equitable, but it also needs to redress redress past harms. You know, in other words, there has been a great deal of social injustice, and so we have to create new relationships of power for um, the future through reparations, as an example. Um, The strategies... um, were first forged for just transition by labor unions and environmental justice groups rooted in low-income communities of color who saw the need to phase out the industries that were harming workers, community health, and the planet. So I think also part of a just transition is that we need to ensure um, that as we go forward, we provide pathways for workers to transition to other jobs. In other words, we don't want to be saying to communities, you know, there's not going to be any more fossil fuel extraction in your community and all those people lose jobs. We need to ensure that there's good jobs for them in non-polluting industries um, and, and that we, we understand that there's a, a comprehensive plan that includes uh, racial and gender equity, but also cares for everyone um, as we make this transition. So I think this is a, a key topic because a lot of the sticky points about, you know, moving off of fossil fuels is how are we going to do this? And so this conversation is really central to that. Well, it is. And this is, you know, something that I can personally relate to. My my father was a coal miner. And, you know, while he understood, uh, you know, adverse impacts of coal mining and what coal could do to your lungs firsthand. Um, it wasn't as though somebody was putting in a wind turbine manufacturing plant or a solar panel manufacturing plant in the same location where he could just move from one job, get trained for another. And and that's the real conundrum that a lot of these communities who have historically been 
reliant upon fossil fuel industries for their livelihood are, are in. And so I think it's so wise that you include that. And, and I like the idea of calling that a just transition. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. We are talking about the upcoming Global Women's Assembly for Climate Justice. It's going to be September 25th through the 30th. It's a free virtual international forum hosted by the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. And we are talking to the founder and executive director of that organization. There's so many topics we could talk about that you guys are going to be covering um, with your international panelists, Osprey. But one of the topics that really piqued my interest is feminine care economics and policy agendas. And I will be the first to admit that I don't know anything about this topic. So please enlighten us. Oh, thank you for for asking that question. So, yes, during the assembly, there'll be a panel on feminist care economics and policy agendas. Um, Women and feminists from different regions of the world will uh, come together to discuss alternative economies that counteract extractive economic systems, colonization, racism, and patriarchy, and instead uplift women's labor, center indigenous knowledge, and prioritize people and planet. So when we're talking about the feminist care economy, it's really about um, 
dismantling the economic system that we're in because that has led us to the crisis that we're in right now. And there could not be a more important time to ensure we don't go back to business as usual. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has led laid bare really the sphere cracks in our global economic system. The current economic system is set to continue to rapaciously extract resources from the earth and drive the dual crises of climate chaos and pandemics while exploiting the labor of people worldwide to really line the pockets of wealthy CEOs, fossil fuel companies, and other large corporations. And, you know, we just can't keep going on as we were. So, this feminist care economy is to provide a new model. Um, as we've been discussing, the climate crisis is also an issue of justice, equity, and power. And it's upheld by legacies of, of colonization and, and white supremacy. So in this context, um, we really need to understand that patriarchy and capitalism, these systems that we're living in, are inextricably linked with the climate crisis and responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. And women's labor across all sectors continues to be undervalued, made invisible, and we need to change that. It's important to recognize as an, an example that care work that is most often performed by women, and particularly women of color, is in fact climate work and vice versa. We need to ensure that the future is grounded in, in understanding that the women's work that we do every day um, is, you know, it's unpaid labor, but it's essential. Our whole society depends on women taking care of children, taking care of the sick and the elderly. And so we need to invest in the feminist care economy to understand uh, really uh, what it is that's at central to what keeps us functioning in our everyday lives. And it's also part of what we were talking about earlier, a just transition. Um, mm-hmm. The world over, women are advocating for, as an example, circular care economies and mm-hmm. earth center economic models like Buen Vivir that, that really allow us to have the systemic change that we're talking about that really care for people and planet for generations to come. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys will also be talking about the rights of nature. And I'd love for you to explain to our listeners what that means and what kinds of policies would need to be in place to protect those rights. Well, I'll just start really quick with a short story that um, I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand some years ago and meet with the Maori people um, who have established um, a form of rights of nature, which is uh, giving personhood. To, to different parts of the landscape. And in their case, um, it's giving personhood to the Wanganui River, which is central to this, the particular Maori people who I was visiting. And it is an actual policy that is a part of the government of New Zealand. And it recognizes the river as a living being with rights to live well and healthy. And they have a saying there that says, I am the river and the river is me. And they see the river as their living ancestor, and it's not metaphorical. They they literally have their origin stories in this river, and it's a very different worldview of understanding that nature is alive and that we are part of um, this incredible living ecosystem. So rights of nature is a framework and legal system based on the recognition and honoring of the earth's fundamental and uh, forever rights to exist, live 
thrive, evolve, and regenerate. And right now, the majority of the world's legal frameworks treat nature as property, meaning that our life-giving rivers, our forests, and mountains are seen as objects to be sold and consumed. And legal systems built on the premise of rights of nature challenge that idea that natural communities and ecosystems are property to be exploited endlessly, as we see by humans, and instead recognizes the earth as a living rights-bearing entity. So it's a very different model. And what's very exciting is it's not just theoretical. As I was saying, there is a form of this rights of nature happening in New Zealand. Ecuador has, um, in 2008, the first country in the world to put rights of nature in their constitution. And uh, different countries as well, Colombia, Australia, Sweden, Nepal, and other regions, we're really seeing rights of nature movements grow across the United States. There's communities that have rights of nature ordinances to protect water and different features of of their community. So um, it's an idea whose time has come because uh, uh, nature needs rights just like humans so that we can protect in uh, courts of law the rights of our natural ecosystems. You know, there are so many countries around the world in which forest protection is a fight that a lot of people in the U.S. can't even imagine. And I know that you have been there. I know that you have many women in your network that are right on the front lines. I'd love for you to talk to us about what you've seen and the women in your network who have been on those front lines. Well, it's a really big passion of mine. Um, At Weekend, we have a Women for Forest program, and we work in the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador and Brazil, uh, the Atombe rainforest in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and in North America, the Tongass rainforest of Alaska, and and here in California with Redwoods. And um, again, just saying women are really leading out strongly in this movement. So just to give an example, uh, here in the United States, Um, uh, in Alaska, some people don't know, there's a very large uh, forest called the Tongass National Rainforest, and it's the homelands of the Tlingit, Haida, and Simshian peoples. And we have a hub there of incredible Tlingit women where we've been working for over six years now to protect the Tongass Rainforest from rollbacks to um, different types of... um, uh, different types of... uh, uh, forest legislation that had been pulled back. And we just recently won an amazing victory during the current administration to protect over 16 million acres of the Tongass rainforest, which is considered America's climate forest because of how much uh, carbon sequestration is in the forest and uh, to stop old growth logging there. And it's also critical because uh, um, indigenous people's way of life is so integrated with the forest that when you destroy a forest, you're also really committing cultural genocide because their relationship to the land is so deep that when you destroy their homeland, you destroy Uh, who they are as a people. So it's very important. And in the Democratic Republic of Congo, just to give one more example, we're really honored to be working with Nima Namanamdu, who will also be one of the speakers at the assembly. And there we are doing two things, which is protecting 1.6 million acres of old growth forest in the Congo Basin, which which, which is really... Uh, second to the Amazon, uh, one of the most important forests of the world for all of us due to climate and weather patterns and, and uh, water and so many different things we need to live. Um, there we are uh, also reforesting damaged land that had been previously logged 
and it's an incredible group of women reforesters, um, forest guardians who are reforesting uh, very, very large areas that have been damaged over the years through illegal um, deforestation and mining. And now they're reforesting the land while also protecting old growth forests. So I could not emphasize enough how much forests are important to um, mitigating the climate uh, crisis. And again, I was mentioning earlier about the Amazon. Um, You know, we need to protect some of these most important forests in the Amazon, um, in Congo, in Indonesia, and the boreal forests in Canada. And wherever we live, I think people can really get engaged in learning more about the forests in their own communities and doing everything Mm -hmm. we can to not only protect old growth forests, which is most important, but also get involved in tree planting and reforestation efforts. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And, and I so admire the work that you're doing around that. You know, I, one of the things that I uh, admire you and your organization and all of the people that you work with uh, to bring these kinds of events to fruition is that you have a goal in mind. You have uh, an end result uh, to, you know, to the assembly. And, and I'd love to give you a chance to talk about what you ex- expect to accomplish. What's the work product of this assembly? Well, there's several things. I mean, I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of education, uh, and we also are having different kind of online spaces for people to interact and network so that uh, not only the speakers but the attendees can network together. Um, when we held a event like this some years ago, many, many projects developed out of the event because uh, leaders could get together, learn from each other, and begin to collaborate. And a lot of those projects are going on today, so we're really thrilled about that. And in this case, the primary focus of the Assembly is also to release a very powerful call to action for global climate justice, which we are going to deliver to governments all over the world and financial institutions during the UN General Assembly um, because our event was specifically timed to be during the United Nations General Assembly where governments are already meeting. It's the last time they'll be meeting before the biggest climate talk that has happened since the Paris Agreement at the end of this year. So we're also going to be bringing this call to action to COP26 or the United Nations Climate Talks in November. And the Assembly is calling for urgent action within a climate justice framework and we're producing an online collection of actions and policy frameworks uh, from a climate justice perspective and all the solutions that uh, the, the different leaders will be bringing and talking about during, um, during their sessions. So um, I'm really excited about this because we actually, through all the work that we've done, um, have the email addresses of the different uh, liaisons to different countries around the world. So literally, we're going to be sending this call to action to every country in the world. And I also mentioned financial institutions, because we need to remember that banks and asset managers and insurers also enable a lot of harms to happen through what they're funding and financing. So we also need to have financial institutions be in alignment with the Paris Agreement. 
Absolutely. That is so true. And and I, I can already see shifts in some of the ways that certain banks are beginning to prioritize this um, in their financing and in uh, their agreements with various industries. So well done. I know you're part of that. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Osprey Oriel Lake. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Osprey, I want to get right into the UN Climate Talks in Glasgow because that's, you know, that timing of that uh, event has driven the timing of your event. And I would love for you to talk to us about what your hopes are for the UN Climate Talks in Glasgow. What actions could they take that would define a successful conference in Glasgow for you? Well, uh, last year's COP26 got delayed until this November because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and governments had another year to set themselves on track, uh, yet many of the world's largest emitters really remain stagnant and display a lack of ambition to curb emissions and cut pollution at scale, commensurate with the science. Um, and the climate crisis well underway, as we've been talking about. So we need governments to really move. I mean, right now we're seeing that we are set to have an alarming 3.2 degrees rise in Celsius, rise in global temperatures, given the current commitments from governments. So we need massive change to get to 1.5 degrees threshold, which is what scientists are calling for. And, um, you know, we need to have really transformative leadership, and that's going to come from people's movements pushing governments. We need governments to listen to people and frontline communities, to listen to Indigenous people, to listen to solutions that our communities are already leading out with. We need to center people on planet and not polluters. Um, we need governments to stop the revolving door between the fossil fuel industry and elected officials. And as we were talking about earlier, and that really to build back better right now um, means to build back fossil-free. 
And I think we can do it. It's, it's now more profitable to invest in clean, regenerative energy. And we need governments to support this transition to a clean energy future and not be promoting old ideas and old economies. So that is what we need. We need governments to really understand that the way that we've been operating is no longer working and they need to start listening to uh, community-led solutions and what people are doing on the ground. And and that's what we're going to be pushing for at at this next climate talk. Uh, I think that's that's right on point. Um, You know, we've been talking a lot about the Global Women's Assembly for Climate Justice that you're convening, but I also want our listeners to know about your organization, We Can, the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. You have so much great information on your website, but I'm especially drawn to one of your four guiding principles, um, the rights of future generations. And, you know, in my work with my nonprofit, the Go Green Initiative, uh, my motto has always been, it's not enough to prepare our children for the future. We must prepare the future for our children. And so, you know, mm-hmm. that that right of future generations really spoke to me. And I'd love for you to talk to us about how that particular guiding principle influences the work of we can yeah and and just to also give a shout out right now to um the upswell of young activists from every corner of the world i mean when you know we don't want to put the burden of what's happening on uh the youth because you know they always say to us yes we are out there doing everything we can but you adults need to get busy getting things right so I just wanted to acknowledge that, but also to say how powerful young people's voices are right now because they're literally fighting for their lives and they're rising up to demand action from governments and policymakers. And for many of them, you know, they've been experiencing the climate crisis their entire lives. And if things don't change, they too will be experiencing the worst of the climate crisis. So, you know, when we talk about future generations and young people, they have a right to a healthy and thriving planet. And that's why it's one of our principles is the rights of future generations. Like, what are we doing right now to ensure that they have um, a healthy world to live in? And this this really uh, pulls at me every single day, um, you know, that we have what a lot of indigenous people call seventh generation thinking, where you're thinking, what am I doing today that's going to affect seven generations from right now? And would I be doing this or that activity? Would we be having this or that policy if we're thinking many generations ahead to ensure the right for those who are younger than us and those who have yet to be born have a beautiful planet that we've had the opportunity to experience? And I think that we should let that weigh on us and we should be uncomfortable in that question and we should let it drive us to do the right thing. I couldn't agree with you more. And and actually, that's a big part of why I've been doing the work I've been doing for the last 19 years. Um, and I sometimes when I speak to teenagers, I, um, you know, I say, I, I, I'm 52 years old. And I was told when I was your age, wait your turn, you'll get a chance to lead. And yet, as a generation Xer, um, everywhere I look, the heads of industry, education, media, uh, you know, everything, they're still my parents' generation. They're still baby boomers, and I'm still waiting for my generation to get to the forefront. And I'm like, let's not do that anymore. Instead of waiting in line, why don't we just wrap the line around in a circle and let's everybody put their heads together in multi-generational solidarity.
solidarity. So I, I love that you guys are, are working so hard on the rights of future generations. That means a lot. I want to make sure that all of our listeners know exactly where to find out more information about the Global Women's Assembly for Climate Justice, where to find more information, and how to register. And let's do it today. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for your good work that you are doing, Jill. Um, so for more information, people can go to our website, which is www, and then WECAN International, so it's W-E-C-A-N, WECAN, and then the full word, international spelt out, dot org. So WECANinternational.org, and right there on our homepage is a link to the assembly and there you can register, you can read about all of the wonderful speakers that we were talking about earlier and more, uh, see the schedule over six days. Again, it's a free event um, with women and gender diverse, diverse leaders coming from all over the world, centering indigenous, black, brown, um, and global advocates from many, many different countries. There's 90 speakers from 40 countries. So um, you can go to our website and sign up and register. And I think registering is the best thing to do because then it allows you to come into the Zoom room and be in the chat and have interaction with others and be in the discussion. Uh, so I think that's the best way to experience the assembly is to, to register and join um, the, the Zoom room. Um, but you can also watch it. Uh, we will be live streaming it on our Facebook page uh, under the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but yeah, I think that the best thing is to really uh, get involved in the conversation by registering so you can have the full experience. Absolutely. And there's one more aspect to the assembly that I want to mention. You're offering people a chance to join the assembly network group. Talk to us a little bit about that group and some of the reasons that our listeners might want to get involved. Yes. Um, you'll see on um, the assembly uh, website page is a, a button in the menu that allows you to join the group that you were just mentioning, Jill. And um, it's basically uh, uh, we're designing a way for people to interact directly with each other uh, through a Facebook chat and Facebook group. And so that way, um, while the assembly is going on, people can uh, connect there. They can share their own work. They can find out who's living in the region. Um, and we found when we have done events like this in the past that, you know, people tend to collect around either a theme you know, whether it's working on plastics or working on stopping fossil fuel projects in their community uh, to uh, food sovereignty and food security, whatever their interests are, uh, they can collect there around projects and maybe start collaborating or they want to collect around regions. Like I'm in, you know, this part of the Bay Area and who else is here that I can work with? So we really want to ensure that beyond the assembly, there's a ripple of connectivity and projects and um, actions people can continue to take. You know, I, I am so excited about this and so proud of you for, you know, what you are convening and accomplishing. We have like one minute left. So in the final moments of the show, what parting thought would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, first, I want to thank everyone for listening, for all the beautiful work people are doing in your communities during a very difficult time with the pandemic and everything else. I just want to send my love to everyone, invite everyone to join us so we can do this collective work together and bring our fierce love for life to this moment. 
Beautifully said, Osprey, as always. Um, I, I could talk to you all day. We've got to have you back on soon, but um, best of luck with this global assembly. I am so excited to see what comes out of it. Um, keep keep moving forward. You are an amazing leader and you're so peaceful and loving that uh, I just feel like good things happen all around you because of the, the person that you are. So thank you for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us as well. Um, we will be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.